Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast. Rick Roberts here, and today... It's an after-school special, man. We just had our second writing class here in Nashville. This round, we're doing it at SIR, which is a studio instrument and rental facility. And tonight, we don't have a band practicing next to us, so I thought it'd be a good day to get out the microphones and talk to some of my current students and just find out some of the things they're wondering about, some questions they have, whether it be about the writing, about the performing, about the business, whatever is on your mind. And first up today, we've got Joe Barker. How's it going, Joe? Doing great. Loving the class, Rick. One one question that came up to me was, let's say I'm I'm at home, I'm working on some of the homework assignments you gave me, and I'm writing material, just like I would be writing in the future as I'm creating my show or or my slot. But what if what if I run across something that somebody else did? How will I know if I'm, you know, if not even that I heard it, but that I actually just came up with a joke that's already out there? All right. So like, how would how do, how would you know? Right. That what I you wrote hasn't that? been done before. Man, that's a good question. And it's actually good that you're thinking that way because a lot of comics don't care if they if they stole it from somebody yesterday. There's As long as that person isn't in the showroom, they're going to do it. Uh, it's not always the case, but that, that does happen actually more than it should. But yeah, thinking about it now, the I think the key things early on, don't let it start, stop you from writing and finishing the joke that you're thinking of. So as you're writing it, if you're thinking, oh, what, this sort of sounds like something, go ahead and finish your thought because when you're creating material, you want to stay with the creative part of your brain, that half of it. And there's always going to be the half on the other side. It's like, this isn't funny or you heard this from somewhere else or anything that's going to derail you from being in the creative part. Gotcha. So the first thing I would do is just finish whatever you're writing. And then after you get done, you just take a step back. And you're, if you're still wondering, you know, man, this sounds... You know, I used to have some jokes like, this sounds too good. I couldn't have written this, you know, right. and I didn't. They, somebody else did. <laughs> now, there was one joke I wrote, uh, and I still today have never told it because I thought maybe somebody else. And it was um, the other day I got some floss stuck in my teeth, so I had to get a chicken wing to get it out. And so, like, I just think that has to be out there, but maybe not. I've never heard it. I've been, I've been waiting 23 years to hear it from somebody else. But, you know, I'm, I'm reversing the situation, and I think that's, that's, somebody's had to do that. So if you're listening and you've heard that and you have proof of it, let me know. If nobody calls in or sends an email the next week, I'm going to start doing that joke. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing today with Google and, and YouTube, um, if a comic has put up a video and that joke is in there and you have the um, search terms dialed in really tight, like if there's one part of that joke, like the joke wouldn't exist without these two words. You might search on Google or YouTube, mm-hmm. those two words. And YouTube videos are transcribed loosely, uh, okay. slightly inaccurately, but best they can do with technology. And so a lot of comedians' YouTube videos, whether they realize it or not, actually have transcriptions now. And that's something that, if you're a comic, that's something that's one way you can actually uh, see what you've said. Mm-hmm. And you can actually make corrections on it too. So... It is voice recognition software, and some things don't come out right. But those two things will help you figure it out. Other thing you could do is run your joke by a professional comic. And if you're at the club, even if you're not performing yet, say, you know, you see the MC or the feature act sitting over there in the corner waiting for the headliner to get done. Just say, hey, 
can I talk to you for a second? Have you ever heard this joke? You know, they'll either tell you to get out of their face or they'll listen and answer. So a few things you can do. But the key to making it your joke is to put the element of you in it. And if you do that, the joke's going to get dialed in towards, it'll, it'll all gravitate towards that part of you, that mm-hmm. quirk or whatever that you're isolating in the joke. And that should make it enough about you to where it no longer is like the other joke. Okay. Best case scenario. No, that's great. Um, so the flip side of that, mm-hmm. <clears throat> are you afraid for us as, you know, we're stepping out there, this is early in our experience and we go to an open mic night and we have some material that we've worked on in your workshop and we've built it and it's kind of ironed out and this is pretty funny stuff. Are you afraid of somebody else picking that up? Um, is there something you do or do you just kind of scratch all that and focus on just get up on stage and do your thing? So, so are you, so you're asking, should I be worried about my material getting stolen by other comics? Yeah. Shouldn't worry about it. Should always be aware that it can happen. And as you kind of get along with the ranks of your local comedians, you know, by the third or fourth month, you'll kind of start hearing stories about the people in the town that are joke thieves or potential joke thieves, or you'll be sitting next to somebody and, another comic be on stage and they'll say something the comic sit next to you go that's not even his then then be more aware of doing it around him it's not a huge problem but it's a reality and the bottom line is you can't really let that stop you the the three or four phrases that come to mind over the years that people have told me about on the same topic is a write faster than they can steal so if if you're really writing such great stuff that every time you hit the stage somebody's taking some of it you just got to keep writing more because no matter how how hard they're trying to steal your jokes, you're going to be two more jokes ahead of them all the time. The other thing to be aware of is sometimes, and it does happen, like I say, it's not enough that I want it to paralyze your writing, but Mm -hmm. um, the open micers in town never leave town. That's just what they do. They're open micers. They got a daytime job and they're just happy going out a few times a month. And sometimes comics will come in that are road comics and see some stuff that they like and they'll, they'll take it. Typically those comics don't get famous. They don't get rich. They're always stuck because they've cobbled so much material from other places that none of it sounds like them anyway. So even if they're taking the best jokes from Louisville and the best jokes from <clears throat> Nashville or whatever, when it, they're putting all that together, it doesn't even sound authentic to them. And, and you, you can sometimes tell somebody stole a joke because their whole act is one style, then all of a sudden two jokes, completely different style, and then back to their style. Ah, uh, yeah. So it'll happen. The positive is if you're writing stuff that other people are stealing, you're on the right track. <laughs> you're writing good stuff. Uh, if they're stealing your worst jokes, then that might be a better situation. Let them take all the, the bad jokes you have. Right. Um, but it's, it's going to happen at some point somewhere. But it won't be happening everywhere all the time. Excellent. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, sir. We're going to have another uh, student scoot over. And Scott, I didn't tell you this. This is Scott Gillis. How's it going, sir? Good. Uh, when I got your email about taking the class, um, it took me a little while to realize where I met you back at uh, Johnny W's church, right? That is correct. And yeah. that, that was back in the summer, was it? Uh, you did a. <clears throat> it did was a like an opening night where you could try some new material. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it took me a while to remember that, and then. My two best friends growing up, one was Scott Pettit and the other was Gary Gillis. And so when I see your name, Scott Gillis, like before I even open, I'm like, I think it's coming from one of those guys. So the good news is your emails will always get opened up. 
Oh, all right, that's great. The bad news is every time I open, I'm like, oh, well, okay, it's, it's this oh. other guy, <laughs> <laughs> and he's really not that funny. <laughs> no, but it, it just I thought I had to tell you that because at some point I'm going to call you Scott Pettit or Gary Gillis, and I know you're Scott Gillis. That's, that's interesting. My uh, grandfather's name is Gary. Is it really? Yeah. Well, maybe y'all have people in Kentucky somewhere. It's possible. <laughs> Everybody's got some people in Kentucky. Yeah. Well, cool. What's on your mind, Scott? Uh, so for me, this is this is the second class now, and after the first class, <clears throat> I really wanted to write some unique stuff. And typically, I would listen to different comics all week long, but I'm kind of at a point where I don't know, is it suggested to listen to others? I don't want their material to permeate my, my subconscious and then come out on the paper, and now I'm unintentionally taking material that's not mine. Yeah, that's a good question. It kind of piggybacks on, on Joe's a little bit as far as... Not you don't want to be doing material that's not yours or having that even kind of seep into your thoughts and and I would still say take what you've learned so far in the class and what you learn next week and analyze comics when you listen to them instead of just kind of you know it, this is kind of like a film class where you never be able to watch a film again and just enjoy it now that you know about comedy I mean you'll be watching comedians from here on out even if you didn't take next week's class and this is all you ever took you'll always be looking at them, oh that setup was too long or that punchline or that callback came here or whatever. So it's going to be part of your DNA going forward. But I would still listen to comics um, and just see what they're doing. Uh, watch comics that you don't like. There's a good way to get around it. You won't be stealing their material because <laughs> you don't like them. <laughs> That's but you an can, interesting way to think about it. Well, you know it, yeah. what I mean? Like you can analyze what they're doing if you're not laughing. It just sounds like, I mean, that's a possibility, right? We all have comics we don't like, or we just, we don't like them, and we realize their jokes are pretty good, but we just don't like them. I, I've got guys like, like that that I can watch and learn from and, and kind of isolate what they're doing. You can even do little exercises where you just kind of take a pen and paper and, like, I'm just going to see how many laughs he gets in five minutes. You know, okay. little things. And kind of that way you're looking at it from a different angle instead of it's really a, as opposed to the creative part of you, it's the analytical part. And the analytical part probably won't remember the punch signs as much as it will remember the data, like okay. of how many laughs or what have you. Um, and the other thing, too, as you go forward, uh, the, the thing that might happen more than the jokes themselves is the style. And so you want to once you start performing, uh, you might ask some comics, local or, or whatever, or maybe your friends, um, when I'm on stage, do I remind you of anybody? And if 10 out of 10 people say, yep, it's just like Mitch Hedberg then you've adapted his style and maybe written all all unique material completely out of your creative mind, but it's coming out in the delivery or the style of somebody else. And early on, you know, it's something to be aware of. Not, I'd rather you keep on getting on stage than not, but over time you'll want to start figuring out a way that you tell your jokes, a phrasing, almost like jazz players. You know, if we were all jazz players – and I played a lick like a certain jazz player. You guys would know who I was mimicking just by that style. If I did that the entire program, the entire show or concert, then I'm really not even being myself. I'm a tribute guy. So just like with, with that, the style sometimes you hear. I mean, you'll hear a lot. If you go out to open mics anywhere, you'll hear at least one person that has the rhythm of David Tell. At least one. You'll hear at least one every couple of weeks that's kind of got a Mitch Hedberg thing going on. You'll hear okay. several that have different styles. And you... And sometimes those people even get to be famous, and it still is okay. I mean, I, you know, Dimitri Martin has kind of a Mitch right. Hedberg, who Mitch Hedberg had kind of a Stephen Wright phrasing and style. So it's not that you can't do well without developing your own very unique, but the sooner you kind of step into that, the better. So okay. still watch, still learn, 
and then be aware of of not only the words and the jokes, but the the style. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's great. Because ultimately, you want to be the only you. Even if it's a bad you, it's still you. Yeah. And nobody else has cornered the market on bad you yet. And then you just kind of upgrade your material and your jokes and your experience. And eventually, the cream rises to the top and the best of you comes out with the best material. Best case scenario. (laughs) Yeah, of course. No, but good question. Good question. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Scott. Next stepping in is... A.C. O'Neill, Like okay. Shaq. All right, just like Shaq. Yeah, it's spelled the same way and everything. You're like mini Shaq. Basically. Yeah. I told people he was my uncle. You're like a half-pack Shaq. Pretty much. I'm like a 5'8 like Shaq. There you go. You're yeah. like short Shaq. You're I like sh- that. You're short Shaq that can sink the free throws. That's right. Yeah. Nothing but net nobody's, every time. Nobody's hacking this Shaq. That's <laughs> <laughs> See how we went from hack to hack? There we go. All there right. you go. What's on your mind, AC? So um, I'm just starting out as a comedian, and I really want to pursue it as like a long-term career. And I'm still trying to like figure out my style. And I feel like I'm more of a, a, a conversationalist, listic uh, like style. But um, I'm having trouble like writing jokes because I feel like they all are super long-winded because I have a lot of information to like I don't know talk about. And uh, I'm just trying to figure out like the best way to to simulate a conversation on stage. I got you. Okay. Well, a couple things you can do. Um, one, like in, in the joke writing phase of it, let's start there before mm-hmm. we get to the stage part. Um, if if you find that you write better by just talking it out, that's okay. And I probably should emphasize that in the writing class a little bit. But if the only way you're going to get stuff out of you and onto stage is at some point just to record it into your phone, a recording device, whatever, and then play it back, and as you're playing it back, you can kind of listen to it and go, you know, the first time you listen back, you can just listen back and, and listen for the, what I call core sentences. Like this whole story would fall apart if it didn't have that sentence and this sentence okay. and that sentence. Okay. So do that first. And those are going to be the things you have to have okay. to make that story work. Then look back and say, what before or after those core sentences does not need to be there for those three sentences still work or those, okay. those parts of the story. Okay. And then once you have those, um, look at your core sentences as setups. All right. You know, so if, if part of the story is like, uh, and then the dog bit me in the back of the leg. And that has to be in there because that's a turning point in the story. Right. So how you react to that dog bark, bite, biting you in the leg. Is that, that that's like the punchline? That could be a punchline. Okay. Um, if you turned around and bit that dog in the leg, then you reverse the situation and turn the tables on him and got back at him or whatever right. it might be. And then you, you tag it with whatever you think would be funny after that. Okay. But as soon as you start throwing in facts and data and information that doesn't lead to a punchline, mm. but it was in your original story, you can just take those back out. Okay. You know, so, you know, set that recorder, get it all out. Um, you know, f- for people listening that, that are in a similar situation and, th- and that's the way they write. If you don't want to get things transcribed, we just talked a minute ago about YouTube. You can upload a video to a private link on YouTube, and it will transcribe loosely what you just said, and then you could copy and paste that into a Word doc and work from it from there. Oh, that's awesome. You know, there's a Dragon Naturally Speaking app and software that's fairly affordable. Okay. Um, and then if you wanted to, there's um, there's people out there that transcribe. Mm. Uh, it's about 60 or 70 cents a minute. And some of these podcasts I've had transcribed that I'm going to put into a book, so I'll kind of just... I won't send them the whole, I don't, they don't need to transcribe the introduction right. <laughs> and me reading an iTunes review, but I'll, I'll copy the most important part of that podcast and let them transcribe it for me word for word. 
and then I'll work with that in the Word document to make it ready for the book. So okay. a few different ways you can get into it. Okay. Another exercise is just like we did in this class when we talked about how you how you got a scar or how you were involved in an accident and mm-hmm. the other person kind of summarized that and told the class mm-hmm. your story. Mm-hmm. You could tell your stories to anybody, you know, find somebody in this class, it'd be great. And tell them the whole story and then sit back and go, now tell me how you would tell that story. Okay, that's not a bad idea. And they're going to probably pick the turning points in that story that were most important to them. Right. Some of those turning points may not even resonate with you when you told the exactly. story. Exactly. Like it would be a fresh take on the story. Absolutely. And so you're looking at it from their angle, which also might move the angle of your story just far enough off center where it's still you and your story, but it's coming at it from an angle that you couldn't have come up with originally. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a good technique. I'll definitely try that out. Yeah. And then the other thing, you know, you know, it, once you get to the, the version of the joke that you think you want to try it on stage, at that point, I would type it into a Word doc somewhere and just look at it. Right. Because, man, I see so many things when I, when I type it in. When I get really close to doing it, I'll kind of type out my set list. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just type the jokes out and see how long they are. Mm-hmm. And I'll circle where the laughs are. And if, if there's not enough laughs in the right amount of time, then I'll go back and delete and punch it up. Right. Okay. And I have another question. Do you, do you try out a lot of your material like with your family and stuff before like it even becomes a thing? Like you just ha- will have a random thought where you just spout it out to like your, your wife or whoever happens to be next to you in a room. It doesn't hurt. Um, I don't do it all the time with my family. Um, cause typically I'll, I'll leave, I've got an office that I go to to write. So mm-hmm. I try to, I try to keep it all there, mm-hmm. but things do happen around the house that you think are funny. You might want to kind of repeat it back really quickly. And if I get an idea of where I'm working on it, I do like to run it by like the final version by my wife my 10-year-old and my three-year-old, because if they all get it, an audience is going to get it. All right, yeah, that's a... If the three-year-old's a little confused, I'm not too worried, but my material's family-friendly and clean, so if mm-hmm. I can't say it in front of my family, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be doing it anyway. Mm, okay. But I want to make sure that the 10-year-old kind of figures it out. Right. Which he won't get all the references and all the stuff, but if he can understand why it's funny. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, you know, my 10-year-old will say something from his point of view that I could add as a tagline. Right, line. yeah. You know, so there are times when, when I do that, um, what I'll more, be more likely to do is once I get the joke to where I, I think I've got it, I'll bounce it off some other comics. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll just send them a text message and go, hey, this is, I think I like this joke. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And they can see it in the written form. They kind of know my voice. So they kind of hear how I'm saying it. Yeah. And okay. sometimes they fire right back. Hey, it, that's, that's, that's dead on. I would do that tonight. Okay. And then sometimes they're like, eh, it didn't, it didn't do anything for me at all. You know? Okay. So. Uh, do you think it's important to like build a lot of relationships with other comedians? Like, w- is that really helpful? Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that early on, I just did naturally with people that I became friends with. Right. As I get older and look at every, every good break I've had or every time I got into a club back in the day where I didn't think I could get in by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, even the, the little um, TV thing that we shot this past weekend, those were all from connections of people who I just helped out along the way mm. and they remembered that and paid the favor back. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's comedians that you're different enough to where they would love to have you on their show. And so, you know, one, one mistake, if I could say mistake when I first started was I would just kind of hang out with other comedians that were kind of my style. Yeah. Well, when it came to building a show, right. It was the worst idea for me and two guys that were kind of like me to go do a show together. There's right. no variety for the audience. Right, you want like a buffet sort of a oh, yeah. variety sort of thing going on. If you're doing a if you're putting together a 3-act show whether it's a 30-minute show with three 10-minute sets or 
a 90-minute show with three 30-minute sets, mm-hmm. I think the audience, you know, most audiences would appreciate three different styles of comedy, three mm-hmm. different sounding comics. Yeah. I've got kind of a high nasally pitch. I wouldn't want to put somebody through another hour of that after me. <laughs> but my pitch might be a welcome break after somebody else's right. lower res. You know, you want to look different, sound different, mm-hmm. style different. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? So, it, and it, but but make sure it always comes out of a place of being authentic. Like, just don't buddy up somebody just because... Just because they're different? Yeah. Or just to get something right. from... Get something together? Yeah. If you're always looking at what you can do for that other person... You'll have more a bigger network than you've ever thought, and you never feel guilty about asking somebody for a favor down the road, mm-hmm. and you'll get more fa- favors paid forward to you that you don't ask for. Okay, and so I have another question then. Sure. So um, I'm thinking about moving back to Portland. That's where I, I grew up, and I just recently moved down to Nashville. And I was wondering, like, where what's a good way to set up a a community, like a where to where would I find a community of comedians? All right, Portland, Tennessee, or Portland, Maine, or Portland, Portland, Oregon. Oregon. All right, <laughs> Sorry, there's a lot of Portland. Yeah, I know. I should always say Oregon. I always forget. No, um, well, Portland, Oregon's got a pretty good scene already. Mm-hmm. First thing I would do is uh, search Facebook groups and see if there's a Portland, Oregon open mic group. Portland, okay. Oregon comedians. There probably is, and okay. if, if not Portland, there's probably a Washington mm-hmm. or Oregon, or maybe even California. Or maybe California. There's Northern California Facebook comedy groups, right? And, you know, you'll see like a thousand people in the group and half of those people live in Oregon or whatever. Yeah. And so I don't think you used to be able to search Facebook like people by city and state. But I think they took that out and you have to pay to do that now by running ads and stuff. Like you, that information used to be there when you first mm-hmm. signed on to Facebook. It's not there anymore. But, um, you know, find a couple, you know, go to shows as soon as you get there, go to shows yeah. and and kind of see what the scene is. And then, you know. At whatever point you want to sign up and get on stage, mm-hmm. and while you're on stage, mm-hmm. tell people, and by people would be the other comics that are watching you because they haven't seen you before. Right. Tell them you're new to Portland. Tell them you're looking to find some things. You, sometimes you can use that stage time to almost advertise a need. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. people will hear it because you're on the mic, and now you've got if a hundred people in the bar and you ask a question, somebody's gonna come up and tell you the answer. Right. I remember one time I was. I was I was driving from Chicago to South Bend, Indiana, and my car broke down 89 miles from South Bend, and I had to be there like in two hours. But I had AAA, which had 100 miles free towing, but my car was still shot. They got me the parking lot of the club, and I like cleaned up in the bathroom, went, mm-hmm. changed my clothes, did my set. But while I was on stage, I said, on the way here, this happened to my truck. This part went out. Does anybody in here know how to fix it or know a good garage? I mean, I was just asking a guy in the audience went out and sat underneath my truck for three hours at the show and fixed it for me. It really? wouldn't take a dime for it. Really? Yeah. So you've got potential answers to all your questions every okay. time you get on the microphone. Okay. Okay, cool. So get up on that Portland mic and tell them that you're new to town and right. you know, and be funny enough to where they want to talk to you after the show. Right. You know? Like, and then they'll Yeah. Make sure you bring some A game on that first time. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, yeah. But then they'll help you out, man. And then right. then whatever after you're there for six months, you'll kind of realize all the needs that are met and what needs in that community aren't met. Mm-hmm. And if you have a show or an idea or a concept for putting on an open mic or a, a paid or a book show mm-hmm. that is at a venue on this side of town that there's no comedy going on or mm-hmm. for this type of audience or this demographic age-wise, college kids or whatever, then that's your time to step up and ask the other comics, hey, you guys want to go in on this? And Right. Okay. Cool. I had another question, but I forgot it. All right. I'll if, be honest with you. If you if you remember it, ask me uh, next week or All right. or email it in and we'll get it answered. All right, for sure. All right, we got one last question coming in here. 
I'm second row Joe. Second row Joe. <laughs> so in the book Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell. 10,000 hours exactly. to get good at something. <laughs> you got it. So imagine I don't really have 10,000 hours to work with and I'd actually like to get better. And I'm just starting out. Can you look back and say, if I would have done this more or that more, it really would have helped me and that you might recommend to somebody like me? Yeah, you can spend 4,000 hours with 2,500 people and get to your 10,000 hours <laughs> in a fourth of the time. No, I'm kind of serious. Like, if you only spend time writing by yourself and you only go to open mic and just do your time and you don't offer some lines up to some other comic if, if they're willing to hear them, mm-hmm. um, then you're the... I call it the power of one X. You're X and there's only one of you. As soon as you have a writing partner or a buddy you can bounce out, even if they're at the same level you are, you guys are two X now. If you have a weekly group that meets and you're, there's five of you, you have comedy to the power of five X. Now, hopefully out of five, three of you are pretty good and you're carrying the group or whatever. And over time, the other two lazy guys will leave the group and you get even better. But just like your network, it multiplies the more you're out there working with other comics. And I'll link to a blog post at the end of this podcast about how long does it take to become a comedian because it kind of answers some of these questions. Excellent. Um, Just to kind of tease you into reading the article, think about this. Just to feel comfortable at a job, I would say the average person, after four to six weeks, brand new job, you start feeling kind of comfortable. You're aware of your surroundings and know what you're supposed to be doing. You might not be great at it, but you're kind of learning. Yeah. And that is six 40-hours weeks. That's 240 hours on the job. When you start comedy, you get it at three minutes at a time. Sometimes you're only on stage 10 minutes a week. So how long does it take you to get to that six weeks at work? If you're on stage five times a week, you can get there a lot faster than once a month. Right. And, uh, and, and in short, you know, 100 shows, before you do 100 shows, whether it's three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, a variety, um, I wouldn't give up or call myself a comedian or even, you know, evaluate too hard until I've been on stage a hundred times and I kind of got my feet wet because everything else you're just kind of speculating. I'm, I'm I'm sort of doing comedy. I'm not doing it consistent after a hundred shows. There should be some consistency where you see that it's worth pursuing or maybe, maybe this wasn't the thing, maybe writing for other people or being in a sketch improv group is your thing, or maybe be an actor. But a hundred times is, is the the shortest version of 10,000 hours that I can kind of give you as a goal. 100 shows, get up there, and you can do that in a year if you're up two times a week. You can do it in five months if you're up more than that, you know, four okay. times. Okay, so just to t- tag on to that, to you're going and you're going up five times a week. Where are you where you're able to be up five times a week? Well, we're in Nashville. We've got that kind of opportunity. Right. And if you go move to Portland and they've only got four, then you start your fifth. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, but I guess in my thought i've got you've got your day job already minutes no i'm oh. thinking i've got five minutes worth of material mm-hmm. i go five nights in a row well next week some of the same people in the audience are going to be there they're going to be there but it doesn't matter okay yeah and that, that that actually is a great topic for another podcast altogether is mm-hmm. is uh performing what you need to do as opposed to what you think people need to hear hey i like that i'm gonna write Thank that you. down all right, cool. We have to wrap up because our time is uh, overdue and we're going to get charged here at the Studio Instrument Rental Center here in Nashville. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you can, leave us an iTunes review, and I'll definitely read that out on the air. And it helps us, I think, get found on iTunes. If not, it helps me keep doing the podcast. Thanks, guys. See you later. There we go. Standing ovation because we've got to take your chairs. <laughs> 
listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.